pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find any ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, now, O king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. 
and a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we lift your name on high. And as the song says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we know you are always here. But we, again, invite your presence, uh, not only in this space, but in our hearts. Father, we ask that whatever message that you have for us this morning through the story of Daniel in the lion's den, that it would be transformative for our own lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning and welcome. There is always, um, it's always a good time when family comes down to visit you. So if you uh, weren't on the call this morning, the Zoom call, then you missed the three questions by my very own mother, Grace Odenma. Mom, can you wave? Say hello. She's right here in the front. Sorry, I misled you. She's right here. <laughs> right here in the front, all the way from Michigan, um, originally from Nigeria. Um, that's my mother, so uh, before you leave today, make sure you say hello and um, 
Yeah, we have a little chit-chat. She's joining us today. Um, if you are just joining us uh, today for the first time, we've been continuing the series on Daniel and the Revelation. And we've been highlighting a number of different chapters from each of those prophetic books and kind of trying to bring a big picture of some of the meaning of the prophetic passages uh, that lie within them. And this morning, the message is called A Bird's Eye View. Bird's Eye View. And just in study, especially of the book of Daniel, attempting to capture the big picture in the book of Daniel can, can be compared to a bird hunting from the sky versus the ground. As the eagle or the hawk soars from the high heights of the clouds in the sky, their aerial view allows them to see more than just their prey. From such high heights, they are able to see dangers lurking. They're able to adjust themselves and to descend an attack at just the right angle and just the right speed. Now, in English, we've coined this particular metaphor, a bird's eye view. And in film or photography, the same metaphor is used, and it's used to indicate a, a view that gives an elevated perspective, an elevated perspective of an object or an area, or even more so, to emphasize the smallness or the insignificance of the subjects. Here is my pitch to you this morning. The book of Daniel is not really about Daniel. The book of Daniel is about answering the question of who doesn't know that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of heaven? Who doesn't know? The book of Daniel is about God's revelation of himself to the people and the kingdoms of the world that don't yet know, that don't yet realize, or even refuse to realize that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, men being humanity, men and women. To support this pitch, I'll briefly highlight some snapshots of the previous chapters in Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. God, the king of heaven and earth, blesses Daniel, the Jewish captive, with favor in the eyes of his Babylonian superior. And Daniel requests on behalf of himself and his three friends a diet that would honor God but also be contrary to the king's orders. In 10 days, they were shown to be 10 times wiser and much healthier in their physical appearance. Daniel chapter 2, God, the king of heaven, and earth gives the ruler of the then known world empire Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, a dream of the future of his kingdom and its end. None of the Babylonian counselor, counselors or spiritists, wise men, could tell the king his dream or interpret it. And Nebuchadnezzar planned to kill every single wise man in the kingdom, including Daniel and his friends. So through Daniel and his friends, prayer and supplication, God reveals the dream to Daniel in a vision by night. And Daniel goes before the king to tell him this message sent from the God of heaven. 
Daniel chapter 3. God, the king of heaven and earth, delivers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace after they were unsuccessfully forced to worship an idolatrous image set up by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He refused to acknowledge the dream from Daniel chapter 2 from the God of heaven about the end of his kingdom. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar gives his testimony of how God, the king of heaven and earth, made him a wanderer, uh, made him wander as a beast for seven years because he refused to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Instead, he celebrated his own greatness and accomplishments. In the end, he makes a declaration and profession that Yahweh is the one true God and it is he who rules in the kingdom of men. Daniel chapter 5, God, the king of heaven and earth, writes a judgment and the future plan of the kingdom of Babylon on the wall with a hand floating in midair because Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, throws a party celebrating the gods of silver, the gods of wood, and the gods of stone while using holy consecrated vessels from the Jewish temple. Daniel simply comes in to interpret the writing. And as God said in the writing on the wall, that night the kingdom of Babylon was finished. And so forth and so on. You'll begin to see a pattern that Daniel simply so shows up on command of God. Same thing with Daniel 7 and 12, the outline of the continued kingdoms of the world and what that means, simply revealed to Daniel. But let's look right into the passage. Verse 1, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. It says this, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Question, how did Daniel survive the invasion of Babylon by the Medo-Persian kingdom and become a chief governor over the whole realm? How? Because usually in the transition to a new kingdom or a new power, most, if not all, counselors or court attendees are killed off and replaced with that incoming kingdom's own personnel. So the fact that Daniel remained is actually miraculous. They saw something in Daniel that they needed for their own kingdom. And so he sticks around. And not only does he stick around, the Bible says he became distinguished above all the other officials because an excellent spirit was in him. The king wanted to make him second in command. Now, the book of Daniel does do a good job of describing exactly who Daniel is. And the chapter just before in Daniel 5, the queen mother, which is uh, Belshazzar's uh, grandmother, she tells, great-grandmother, I believe, she gives a description when the writing comes on the wall and everyone is freaked out. This is what she tells Daniel, or excuse me, tells Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5, verse 11. She says this, 
There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, it says father, but it's indicated grandfather in other translations, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. This is not the first time we've seen people commend Daniel for his spirit. But Daniel's attitude, his wisdom, his work ethic, allowed him to not only last, but thrive in the transition of kingdoms. Don't miss that other people were able to identify that he had the spirit of the holy gods. Other people could see. Something was coming from Daniel, shining forth from Daniel, where they, they realized this man is connected to the gods. And did you know that you can tell people that you're a believer without saying it to them. And obviously there's a place and time to declare who you are, but it doesn't always have to be spoken. And Daniel did this excellently by his work ethic in the kingdom and his faithfulness. By our actions, we can speak. But for Daniel, God didn't only shine through in his life, he shined through in his work. And it's easy, it's very easy for us to keep God separate from the things we do every day. From our business, from our careers. But God was the reason why Daniel prospered. He was the reason why he thrived in his work. One critical mistake that we as professed Christians often make is that we behave like God is not involved in non-religious affairs. It's almost as if God is only accessible in the building of a church. We operate as if we have everything under control and we call on God only when we need him. But that mentality, that mentality is really for a genie in a bottle, who is summoned when needed. God, the king of heaven and earth, is not summoned because he's always here. A relational God is the one that desires to do life with you. He's a God that is present at all times, in the good times and the bad times. And Daniel executed his missions with that mentality in mind, and his, what he executed his orders with excellence and exactness. And so Daniel thrived in his service to King Darius, as some would pronounce it. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says this, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, 
we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. You may not have known it, but when you're very good at something, people begin to watch you. And, when, and then when you profess that you're a God-fearer or that you're a Christian, they begin to examine every part of your life, every part that's visible that they can see. And that's actually a reason why some people are afraid to make their spirituality known, because we are very aware that we are not perfect. But although, according to this biblical account of the life of Daniel, who gets a five-star rating from what we can see here, public spirituality isn't about perfection. It's about humility. It's about how you respond to both the positive and negative aspects of your own life and the world around you. It's about how you handle situations when you're wrong or when you're right. How your relationships with other people lift them up instead of pull them down. It's about a realization of your imperfections and acknowledging and running to the God who desires to fix them. Having God in your life makes you a better version of yourself, not a perfect person. Public spirituality isn't about perfection, it's about humility. And so as these enemy plotters are examining Daniel's work, the Bible says they could find no ground for complaint. Wow. That's amazing. I don't know about you, but I make mistakes. <laughs> I couldn't say that any job that I've ever done was perfect. I've definitely missed some spots or left some gaps somewhere. But according to this text, these enemies couldn't find anything. I mean, I'm sure they went over the budget. Did he misspend? Did he pocket some of the change? They went through the archives in the Medo-Persian Library of Congress, looked up his past and all the records that he's created. You better believe they checked, <laughs> and they checked well. Very, uh, very, the complete opposite of how when my mother, when we were younger, would send me to go look for something, and I would go and look very uh, not well, <laughs> because I was too lazy to go up and get it. And I'd say, Mom, I can't, I can't find it. And I'd return with that report, and she would say, if I get up from this seat, <laughs> fill in the consequence. And then you go and you do a better thorough job looking for whatever it is she sent you to look for. They didn't look like that. You best believe that they checked every nook and cranny of whatever Daniel had put his hands to to make sure they could find something and they couldn't find a thing. Men with evil motives are rarely sloppy in their plots and wicked pursuits. Rarely sloppy. They couldn't find anything, so instead they altered the plan. Look at verse 6. It says, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. 
all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefix and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or any man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, therefore, king, therefore, king Darius signed the document and the injunction. So let me get this straight. Everyone conspired together without Daniel, mind you, <laughs> and was in on this plot the whole workforce ganged up against Daniel. Remember, there's about 119 of them, 120 including Daniel. The type of energy it takes to get 119 people on board against one man is really quite the effort. Whoever orchestrated this, they should have put this same kind of effort in their own work and maybe they would have been second in the kingdom. They were just jealous because Daniel was a Jewish captive beating them at their own game, being excellent in Medo-Persia and not being Medo-Persian, and worshiping a complete other god. Now, segue, up until this point, we've heard nothing, not a word from Daniel. We've only heard things about Daniel, what everyone else is saying. We've really only seen the movement of these wicked men plotting against one of God's servants, but the servant, Daniel, has not yet appeared in the narrative. Let's transition to a bird's eye view. Let's zoom out a little bit. Daniel is there in the kingdom being exceptionally faithful in his work, but all around him, his enemies begin to increase in number. They move around in secret meetings with whispered tones to plot a plan that would eliminate Daniel for good from the kingdom. King Darius appreciates Daniel because he benefits the kingdom in many ways. But just imagine, God, the king of heaven and earth, who has been present with Daniel ever since he arrived in Babylon and before, is watching the movements of Daniel's enemies. He's watching the movements of Daniel, and he's watching the movements of King Darius. If you ever had doubts about whether God sees you, God is always watching his flock. God's people are the apple of his eye. They never go out of sight. He is our deliverer and protector, and he's watching and checking out what's happening around his servant, Daniel. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Daniel was praying out loud. The Bible says, when Daniel knew 
when Daniel knew that the document had been signed. And then it says, he continued as if nothing happened. It says, as he had done previously, he kneeled and prayed three times a day with the windows open to Jerusalem. Daniel made a conscious, well-informed decision when he decided on those next steps. He wasn't in the dark about matters, and he didn't go and pray in the dark. Now, some of us might be tempted to do that, because the den of lions doesn't sound like a place I want to be. <laughs> I may go pray in my closet in secret. God can hear me there. But Daniel was like, I will continue as I have been doing. And so he chose to continue his public display of devotion to God with open windows towards Jerusalem. Daniel knew he was being set up. Yet, his communion with God remained constant despite his life being on the line. Man. Look, Daniel's prayer, prayer life on a normal day is better than my prayer life when I'm in trouble. There's a movie, um, it's called The Pursuit of Happiness. Some of you maybe have seen it. Will Smith and his son Jaden some years ago. And it's the story of a single father who is trying really hard to make ends meet, to find work, find a job, to get food, to get shelter. He's homeless, he's on the street, but he's a really smart guy, and he finally gets an internship at this company, but doesn't get paid. And so the movie, you know, goes through his journey until finally, you know, it ends in some good news. But a good, uh, a friend of mine, a Christian, as he was reviewing the movie, he said, man, that guy went through so much not one time in the movie did he get down to pray. Not one time. It's the same with uh, this series, This Is Us. So maybe some of you watch it. I love it. It's a great series. And as I kept watching season to season, kept seeing the same problems revisit people over and over, I simply began to wonder when they were going to try faith as a source, as a resource to overcome some of their difficulties. I'm still waiting. We try everything else. And don't get me wrong, therapy is good. Please go to therapy. <laughs> but also, please try God. Please try God. Daniel's prayer life was constant. One of the only things in this particular narrative that remained constant or, and unchanging was Daniel's prayer life. But what was it about that prayer time? that made Daniel so easily decide that it was worth his life. I, I keep trying to think, because I'm like, prayer, okay, my life is on the line, I'm going to pray. Hmm. What was it about that prayer time that was so special that Daniel was like, I'd rather just die? I've come to the very simple conclusion, very, very simple conclusion, that Daniel liked his prayer time. He liked it. Daniel liked prayer because he liked God. He liked God on a very 
fundamental level, the way that I like my friends, the way that I like to spend time with them, and I don't mind being in their presence. In fact, I enjoy being in their presence. Daniel liked God like that. The Bible says Abraham was a friend of God. He liked being in the presence of God. And so he said, I'd rather be in God's presence than live. It's better than my earthly life. That's what was on the line. And because at least three times a day, he could forget that he was a captive in a foreign land in this world, and he could be reminded that he was a child of the king. There's a quote by Ellen White. She says in, in Steps to Christ that prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Not that it is necessary in order to make known to God what we are, but in order to enable us to receive him. Prayer does not bring God down to us, but brings us up to him. So maybe in those moments of prayer, Daniel was transcended the space of earthly time and was in the presence of God, and he preferred that air. It was better. He liked it. When I was in college uh, in my undergrad, Michigan State University, um, I had a roommate that uh, we became good friends in one of our college classes, and then we uh, roomed together. And as I was getting more involved in my walk, I began to pray for her because she also was interested in, in faith and religion and the Bible. And so I decided, you know, I'm learning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take people up on this, on this prayer thing. And so every morning I would get up, and this continued for months, I would get up four or five in the morning, I was determined, and I would get down and I would, I would just pray, and I would talk, and I would pray for her, and I'd pray for others, I'd pray for myself, but specifically for her. And there was one morning when I woke up, and it hadn't ever happened before, but I woke up happy. I woke up happy to get down and pray. And I know for a lot of people that prayer is a drudgery. But when does a transformation happen where prayer becomes a blessing? Daniel basically was saying that for him, a life without communion with God is equivalent to death. Communing with God meant more to him than life itself. It meant more to him than being thrown into a den of lions. So Daniel prays out loud as he normally does with open windows towards Jerusalem. It's honestly so rebuking uh, uh, to me <laughs> that while running an entire kingdom, Daniel found time to stop and pray three times a day. Most of us, including myself, I'm, I'm, I'm in this. We're all in this. We're still working on making sure we pray at least once a day. <laughs> and I know not all of our lives are as busy as Daniel's. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon, who was um, a British uh, Baptist minister, very famous, wrote uh, a book on prayer. It's called Spurgeon on Prayer. But he says this. He says, sometimes we think we are too busy to pray. That is a great mistake, for praying is a saving of time. A saving of time, not a waste 
not a waste of it. Look at verse 12. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, now he's an exile, but he actually is second in the kingdom, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Now, the Medes and the Persians and many other ancient kingdoms, they believed that, even Egypt as well, that the person who sits on the throne was a type of God. The irony of this situation is that they were supposed to be praying and, and petitioning only to King Darius for 30 days, but when the king sought to deliver Daniel, he couldn't. Some God. The Bible says he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. I wonder what he was doing. Maybe he was looking for some clause, some amendment in the law of the Medes and the Persians or trying to, to contrive some plan to rescue Daniel and help him escape. But I also wonder how many things in our lives do we revere or admire that wouldn't deliver us in the time of need. Just a few weeks ago, we had the Met Gala here in, in New York, and being my first couple of months in New York, I'm like, wow, it's right down the street, and any celebrity who uh, uh, is anybody is gonna be all in one place. Let me go and check this out. And so crowds flocked, streets were blocked off, and I thought to myself, you know, there's a lot of people here for these celebrities, and not any of these celebrities probably know who any of these people are. <laughs> and we were there just hoping to get a glimpse of them. Some knew every single detail about the celebrities. I'm looking for so-and-so, and I'm looking for this person, and even had matching outfits from previous galas. Yet, if life were to hit some rough patches, the admiration for such celebrities would be irrelevant. Athletes, same thing. Actors, same thing. Now, the truth is, I don't believe that many people expect these, you know, individuals to deliver them from anything. But the level of admiration that they're given for their inability to deliver, is, and, and they really only entertain, is very godlike. So this instance for King Darius was a good reckoning. What kind of God was he if he couldn't deliver an innocent man from a death sentence? So the gang of evil men, they knew that, and that's exactly why they set it up the way that they did. Look at verse 15 through 18. It says, Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that it, is law, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persian that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, 
And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled. Sleep fled from him. May your God. If you ever wondered what a prayer from a heathen king sounds like, it sounds like, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. It sounds like doubt mixed with rays of hope. And a lot of us Christians, we still kind of pray like this. We still kind of pray with, with a lot of doubt and a few rays of hope. We still don't know that the most high God rules in the kingdom of heaven and earth. There are many people that are still just hoping that their faith works, but never have actually experienced true power from God. And here's the honest truth. You will never know that prayer is a tried and true method until you start doing it. Many of us have never tested God for even small things in our lives. Why would we try him when big issues hit the fan? The king was so distraught, he didn't sleep a wink. I bet the thought of sentencing Daniel to death was eating him alive. He hoped against all hope for a miracle even though he didn't know who the God of heaven was, in this instance, he hoped that he was real, and he hoped that he would deliver. And one of the beautiful things about this story and about our God is that sometimes, for the sake of an individual, for the sake, just because God is good, God answers prayers that are full of doubt but mixed with rays of hope. Verse 19 says, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. O king, live forever. The most dynamic character in this narrative, the one that experienced the most change in this story, is King Darius. He goes from this pompous king who's content with a nation of people worshiping only him for 30 days. And then he transforms to a man hoping that the God of heaven is real. In ancient times, the true strength of a, God, of, of, of a God rested on their ability to deliver. And at the first sound of Daniel's voice, that's when he knew. O king, live forever, said Daniel. And it is significant to note that the whole time that this story is taking place, we hear not one word from Daniel besides the fact that he was praying openly 
and out loud in his window. We hear nothing from him. The only conversation in sight that we have seen from the text are the discussions between the wicked counselors and the king. We've heard conversations all about Daniel, but never actually heard the voice of Daniel until this moment. And honestly, we didn't even need to. Because when we pan out from a bird's eye view, from a perspective that's closer to what God sees, the king of heaven had everything under control. Daniel didn't need to speak for himself. God spoke for him. Verse 22 says, this is Daniel speaking, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Mm, mm, mm. But don't miss the point that I want to bring out here at the end of verse 23. Daniel's role, this is the role he played in this account in this story, in fact, in the whole book of Daniel. He trusted in his God. The greatest role Daniel played in this story and in the book really is trusting God. If you ever wondered what your role is as a God-fearer in this time of society, what you're supposed to do in this space of social unrest or in future troubles or difficult situations, which we have a lot of them happening right now, just know that it is always to trust God. Our role is to be a type of constant in changing situations, to do what's right and let God do the rest of the heavy lifting. We're coming to a close here, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions... So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The proclamation of a heathen king went to all the peoples, all nations, all languages that dwell in all the earth. Does that sound familiar to you? Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, tribe, and people. In Revelation, it's God making a proclamation. But in Daniel, it's a heathen king. 
sounds like Revelation 14. It sounds like here in Daniel, someone with first-hand experience is telling us the same thing. So no, this story, in my opinion, was not really about Daniel, per se. It was about answering the question of who doesn't know that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of heaven. And who exactly didn't know that God was sovereign? Well, it wasn't Daniel. It was King Darius. It was all of Medo-Persia. It was those wicked, plotting men who needed to know. It was everyone that Darius had made the proclamation to at the end of this account. It's to all the nations, kindreds, tongues, and peoples across the globe. It's to you and to me. To anyone that doesn't know that God is sovereign, and this story is for anyone who needs to refocus and see the bigger picture. Anyone who needs to see the world and their life from a bird's eye view. I believe that by looking at the bigger picture, we can refocus, we can better direct our steps, we can see what's important and what matters, and we can also see that God is in control. It is God, the King of heaven and earth, who reigns in heaven, of course on earth, and in our lives if we want him to. May this be our prayer, and may this be our experience.